everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for the puppy Armageddon. <laughs> he's furry. He's friendly. It's like uh, if Fast and Furious did the next version, it would be the Fast and Furious. Um, he's not here. He has been causing disruption. Um, who knew that you would have to wipe a puppy's bum? At the age of thirteen weeks, when he couldn't. But anyway, I'm not here. I'm not here to. I'm not here to um, to explain to you or even mansplain to you about how to be looking after animals. Um, I'm not. I'm kind of. I'm happy, but I'm not in any kind of funk, or maybe in any kind of funko. Um, I wish I was a little bit more wise and potentially a little bit more wicked, or maybe a bit both wicked and wise. Because joining me today. To talk about Wicked and Wise, their game, which is currently sitting on Kickstarter, I've got Fertessa Elise. <laughs> Hello. 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 Thank you for that beautiful intro. It's kind of not beautiful. It was kind of, you know, it was a little bit haphazard, and then I felt I kind of fell in the middle, and then it kind of totaled off to the end. But we did, you know, we did what we can do. How are you, first of all? Are you well? I am doing quite well, other than allergies. But yes, I'm doing quite well. What is it? Is it hay fever season, or is it just I various? I don't actually know, because so I I just recently moved to Seattle. So what would right. consider as allergy season is now it's different because I feel like it's a lot longer here, and mm-hmm. um, I just don't know. I wake up and I get hit by it, and then I take my allergy stuff, and then I'm good. So. I don't know. <laughs> uh, does it rain all the time in Seattle? Because one of the things they say about Seattle is that it's like to- you just wait. It's like it's like the Scottish version. If a Amer- if they move Scotland into America, mm-hmm. then they would probably put it in the Seattle area because it rains <laughs> an awful lot. Is it is it quite rainy? I would actually say it is more overcast. Because, like, coming from Georgia, what I consider rain is, like, it's downpouring and thunderstorming. Mm. But over here, raining could just be, like, a gentle mist. And then it could be, like, 20 minutes and this be done. So it's kind of like... walk outside, you get soaked, basically. You can't, you can't, it's too, it's nice and warm to wear a jacket. I'm not going to wear a jacket. And you still come in feeling like you've done swimming. (laughs) In Seattle, I I often will walk outside while it's misting, and I'm not soaked, and I go back inside. But Atlanta, you can't play that. So, yeah. So, how how long you been in Seattle then, and what made you decide to to kind of move? Uh, it's been it's going on nine or ten months now, 
And um, I just wanted like a a change of pace. Um, I I wanted to see if going to a new state would give me better job opportunities, which it did. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I just wanted to also move to a city that was a lot more walkable. Um, In Georgia, it's like you need a car. You You can't just walk anywhere. I would have thought it would have been the other way. No, maybe the other way around. I would have thought mm-hmm. that Seattle would have been the place where, or is that, I always get that confused because obviously mm-hmm. in the movies, everybody talks about going to California or no, mm-hmm. that's wrong because I can only base that off one movie, which is LA story, <laughs> which is they have that particular scene where they mm-hmm. say, you know, they, they say, well, we're, we're going down to their house. Where's their house? It's only a block down there. It's like, can't we just walk? And it's like, no, you're in California. Nobody, yeah. nobody kind of walks. <laughs> I can't um, speak to California, but I can definitely say from where I live, there are hmm. three grocery stores in walking distance, five bakeries, wow. and I don't know how many restaurants. But in Georgia, there was maybe two eateries and walking distance in the gas station and walking distance was just like you could walk for a mile and a half in georgia and just reach the one destination you intended to walk but you Mm -hmm. could walk a mile and a half in seattle and pass like a hundred different places so that's it's quite different (laughs) do they have in seattle do they have that terrible radio station with kelsey grammar in it or Well, Kelsey Grammer is a treasure, Um, but I have not heard Kelsey Grammer on the radio uh, the few times I use it. I'm usually kind of on my Spotify, but... (laughs) Did they not have a day? I've heard they used to have a day. Really? In Seattle, in actually Seattle. I mean, this was obviously back in the day where he was famous. They used to actually have a day. Everybody would gather together. And he would, a couple of times, he would sing the theme tune. Now, I'd imagine... The people of Seattle would be wondering what they ever did to deserve <laughs> Kelsey Grammer <laughs> singing at them and them celebrating it. But they, now they I have to find that. I need to. I need to look that up and see. You, no, you 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 don't need to. It wouldn't enrich your life to have them you know, singing a singing wants a song. Kelsey Grammer scatting in your ear for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I ever see it is like occasionally, like they have like because our television is just full of reality shows, which is generally rubbish. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, they like they, we have reruns on particular channels, but they seem to have early in the morning. Yeah. If you get up early enough, you actually have, there's a particular channel that just does reruns of, I think it's Everybody Loves Raymond, mm. and then followed by Fraser. Yes. Because we, I mean, even though we're in the UK, we kind of all... We are all aware of Fraser. Everybody kind of watched Fraser. I don't yeah. think as many people watched Everybody Loves Raymond, but, mm, but that's just. Yeah. But, so I'm I'm totally aware of kind of like everything that was kind of going <laughs> on in the story and everything like that. Yeah. So were you are you were you a Georgian born and bred then? Did mm-hmm. you stay in Georgia kind of all of all of your life then? Well, up yep, until I was, obviously when. You... Yeah, I, I was born and bred in Georgia. Um, mm. If someone wanted specifics, more Atlanta-ish than any other part of Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did go to school in Florida for five years. Wow. Um, so that was probably the only other time I lived outside of Georgia. And I think I take it as soon as you got the chance to move out of Florida. <laughs> you were I went right back home to going. Georgia. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm good. I'm good on my Florida quota for a minute. <laughs> 
for the rest you're good for like the rest of your life mm -hmm. um in terms of your relationship with like kind of tabletop mm -hmm. where did that kind of step in did you play games from a young age or is this something mm -hmm. like a lot of people did that somebody went because i see you've got Catan on your shelf Mm -hmm. yes. So I'm wondering if that you're just trying to brag and say, look, I've got Catan on my shelf. <laughs> or because you can measure it. Because if you look on the other side, you've got code names. Mm -hmm. Yes. So they're both, they're actually, it's really interesting because I would look on Catan on one side mm -hmm. as being like a game that got people into the hobby like 15 odd years ago. I'd yeah. see code names as a game that was getting people into the hobby maybe four or five years ago. So it's kind yeah. of interesting that you've got the kind of like the double site. Yeah. But from your side growing up in Georgia, mm -hmm. um, what was the kind of the tabletop experience? Was that something you got into quite early or was it something you got into kind of later on? Mm. So I got into games at an early age, but I got into the hobby about four years ago. Um, my, my parents or, um, uh, my mom and my granddad in particular, they would, um, play games with me as a, a mm. kid. And, um, that was my way to kind of have a fun social interaction with them. So I always had a love and appreciation for games, but they were usually card games like solitaire or, uh, spades, things mm. like that. Or, um, you know, board games like Monopoly, Risk, those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah even taboo. Um, but I wasn't aware of the hobby beyond like seeing kind of these dusty corners in the comic book shop where people would be kind of hunched over and I just see these boxes of things and I just be like, Oh, that's uh, oh, that seems like that's deep in a secret club. I can't be a part of. Um, so I, I wasn't really introduced to the hobby until about four or five years ago, 2017, um, wow. I had some friends who also enjoyed board games and we were like the only adults we knew that enjoyed board games. So we decided to meet up uh, like once a month to play and they started buying um, different games like Betrayal House on the Hill and um, Sushi Go, which are still, you know, kind of mainstream yeah. games. Yeah. Um, but as we were exploring that, one of my friends was just like, oh, I want to I want to make my own board game. And when she did that, that got the wheels turning in my head about like, what would a board game look like if I made one? And that started me on the path to seeing like the hobby and seeing how deep it was, because I only really had those games. And um, another friend taught me Catan also, but I could never follow through with it. Like I still wasn't aware of the hobby. These just yeah. kind of managed to... I guess, get past the barrier and, you know, got introduced to my life. But when I started exploring how to design my own game and what that meant, what mechanics were and, and who had done this before me, that yeah. is what led me into all these other board games that existed. And I was suddenly playing so many different games that I just didn't know existed. So in terms of like your, when you were at kind of like school and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. Were was that were you always quite creative? I mean, did you mm -hmm. did you did you go to like college, university, places like that, and mm -hmm. and and did, were you majoring in the kind of the creative side of things yourself? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> growing up, I grew up as an only child, so uh, mm. I had to use my imagination quite a lot to entertain myself, which is another thing that board games let me do. Mm. Um, but 
as far as my other ventures, I was always drawing. I was always writing fictional stories. Yeah. Um, and I just tried to express my way myself in any way possible. Um, so it just manifested in different ways. Um, in college, I went um, to the University of Florida for digital media, which All right, sounds, okay. <laughs> sounds very technical, but basically it was teaching you how to express yourself artistically using digital mediums. So I learned about digital painting and um, programming for art and just all sorts of random things. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, I can't imagine programming for art. I yeah. Mean, I don't it, know. Let's do a paintbrush, folks. Yeah. <laughs> it was just... very emo and very like trying to do it to also get a grade is a very interesting mixture. Um, but I was in everything, even video editing, um, I'd make these videos and, and try and express myself and all sorts of things. Um, but after that, I graduated um, after those four years. And then I went to um, a trade school called the Date mm. School, which is short for digital animation and visual effects. Wow. Um, so I learned like 3D modeling and um, how to use the green screen and things like that rotoscoping. And um, I thought I was going to get a career in like the visual effects field for film and TV. So that yeah, was super interesting yeah. to me for some years. And um, whenever I got out of that, I was also trying to do my own video editing and I got into photography and it just constantly kind of evolved, but I never quite found my foothold um, as I you know, try to get employment with those things. Do um, you, but did you, did you go into the physical medium then? Did you, I mean, if, you know, are you a, are you a, a kind of a, are you a doodler? Yes. You know, if you were on a call with somebody and it was like, kind of like, wasn't exciting, not obviously mm -hmm. like this, which is obviously mm -hmm. super exciting because <laughs> I can notice you're not doodling at all. But if you were kind of mm -hmm. in a meeting, would you end up kind of going, I'm just drawing, here we go, just a cat. What was mm -hmm. that? Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Would you kind of like be a doodler and draw and stuff like that? And you, do you enjoy using the physical medium as well? Yeah, from a child to now, I still do it. And it's not even whether something is super interesting or not. I mean, if something yeah. is super engaging, then yes. Mm -hmm. But my brain will kind of stall out, kind of like mm. a screensaver on a computer. If it's not engaged enough um, at a certain point, I would just it would just go blank. Um, I'm terrible at that. Absolutely. <laughs> and I don't know if it's because people are always at me and they're going like, it's maybe an ADHD thing. But yeah. it's like, if I'm not... If you're not grabbing my attention, mm -hmm. I'm two things, yeah. I I will wonder. I'm not very good at feigning mm -hmm. kind of interest in something. Yeah. <laughs> if something doesn't interest me, I'm just like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. It is, let's yeah, I think a, a form of uh, ADD. And the doodling, like I can doodle and listen at the same time because the doodling is engaging my brain. And yes. um so I definitely, I'll do that. And I'll also start writing characters um, like uh, Hangul is the Korean characters. So that also engages yeah. my brain too. Wow. Um, and and then, you know, the medium will be done like, for Tessa, were you paying attention? Yep. I know exactly what you said. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me to do it's it. Like, <laughs> like that. It's like, like that scene in, in the film Baby Driver mm -hmm. where Kevin Spacey is going through the plot. Mm -hmm. And um, and your man turns around and says, "I don't think he, I don't think he got it." It's uh -huh. Jamie Jamie Fox. Yeah, 
and and then the guy just turns around and recites the whole thing and it's just like all oh, right you work in a you work yep. in a pay, paying attention exactly um, what is the creative industry is it, is it a really kind of competitive market is that why you find it kind of difficult to get kind of get a foothold in in the kind of the career i think it is it is extremely competitive but also i think that i didn't find something that I absolutely clicked with. Like there are a lot of things creatively that I can do and that I enjoy doing for myself. But when you're doing it for a company, I think the love for that or the passion for that is what drives you to go that extra step, which makes you competitive. Mm -hmm. So I was never driven to go that extra step to be competitive in those fields. But when I reached board games, I suddenly found the passion that, you know, I, that had eluded me with the previous um, industries. And it it got me to go those extra steps and push my boundaries and, you know, explore different venues, always be in a state of learning. Mm-hmm. Like all those things they tell you you should be doing for a job. Like I, I tried to go through the motions when it came to the previous industries, but I was never passionate about it. And I didn't understand that until I found something I was passionate about. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, uh, yes, they were very competitive, but also as much as much time and dedication as I put towards trying to get into those industries, it never reached the passion that I currently hold for board games. Yeah, it's like trying to answer that question. You get the interview question in the sense so why should you why should you come and work for us? And you're kind of mm-hmm. like, um, I don't I really <laughs> don't know. <laughs> Because I went to the guys down the street and you're paying an extra three grand a year. Yeah. You know, that's why that's why I applied kind of thing. Yeah. It's like um, you mentioned being into modern board games in four or five years. Mm-hmm. And yet looking over the last kind of four or five years, mm-hmm. you're managing to get signed up board games signed mm-hmm. left, right, and center. Yeah. So is there a part of you that's kind of sitting there going, well, this is, this is easy. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you, I don't know why you're all complaining that, you know, you, you're all talking about trying to get your board game kind of done and, and help to getting stuff signed and stuff like that. And, mm. and, uh, and you're, you know, I'm literally just getting games kind of left done left, right and center here. Or, or was it, I mean, your first, the, your first game, mm-hmm. Um, like, you, well, the first one you got signed, Book of Villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we can. We're going to talk about Wicked and Wise. We, yeah. I promise you. I promise <laughs> yeah. you. We're actually going to get around the subject that you're on about. Mm-hmm. But is it just that things clicked? Did you? I mean, because okay, my thing on the digital thing is mm-hmm. you can spend literally weeks putting together something in the digital realm. Yeah. And it still looks rubbish and you mm-hmm. can't do anything with it. However, mm-hmm. I can get like 27 pieces of white paper. Mm-hmm. I can draw numbers on it and we can be playing a full game that I've designed literally yeah. within five minutes. So what, I mean, what, what kind of, the, the, say like the design process for like Book of Villainy, mm-hmm. did it just click for you? Were you just like, you know, Tony Stark in it, moving all the stuff <laughs> around and just like, you know, oh look, I've invented time travel. No, kind of thing. 
<laughs> no, it, it, I mean, it felt very difficult for me, um, mm. especially with my first game. So my very first game was Book of Villainy. Yeah. And um, whenever I was designing that, I actually went through such a, a, a extreme um, kind of designing process with that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was actually my art background that allowed me to kind of scrap it every time and kind of start from the ground up. So mm-hmm. um, whenever I would learn, I was in that learning process again, learning about the hobby, learning about all these different things. Yeah. And when I started working on Book of Villainy, I basically only had knowledge of kind of rolling moves and uh, wow. risk. So I didn't even know how to make my pieces move other than a rolling move. And so the very first iteration of Book of Villainy looked very similar to Monopoly board, even though it played differently, but that yeah. was because that was all I knew. And so I would go, I, I just oversaturated myself um, because I would spend, I was at a, a desk job. So I'd spend say six to eight hours a day listening to gaming podcasts. Mm. And then as soon as I got home or even during my lunch break, I would make prototypes um, at my desk at work. Like there's a CVS downstairs, which is like a little mm. drugstore. I'd go down there, get supplies, go up there, make um, a prototype. I would immediately try and, and get my little friend group together to try and play test it or play test it myself. Mm. And then, you know, if something wasn't working, scrapped it, start, you know, build on something else. I joined BGG. I right. immediately started a work in progress journal um, and tried to like, get things out there, learn from the different threads, um, engage with the community. And Mm -hmm. like these things all kind of culminated in how much my game changed because every time I would get feedback that would bring like a new, Oh, I wonder what happened if I, you know, totally changed the approach to how I I did this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so while it happened in a short time to, other people, for me, it was a huge process because I wasn't sleeping. Like I'd get maybe three, four hours of sleep in the night um, <laughs> because I had a full-time job. And then yeah. I would go and work on this game for hours. And then I was just constantly consuming so much. So I was packing a lot into a small amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just so happened because I, I wasn't even confident enough to pitch Book of Villainy until probably a year and a half into its development. Um, I didn't know anybody in the industry. Um, I only go on to conventions that were in Georgia um, and I got introduced. I'm an introvert. So once I was at a convention, I couldn't even properly get people to come test. I would just sit there and look very sad and hope (laughs) that somebody would know that I was trying to test my game. But it was because the community was so uh, welcoming that people would would find me and they would come and and they would recommend it to other people um and and that was how i i started getting people to test but it was the entire first year second year even of book of villainy's development was me being out of my comfort zone so um and i was i was stressed <laughs> i was very stressed about it but I, at the same time i was so happy and motivated to keep getting out of there. Um, so it, it happened in a short time with these games getting signed back to back, but I would say that all of the work and or all of the groundwork that I put into book of villainy for those first two years 
paved the way for my second and third game and how mm-hmm. they had gotten, um, I guess, snapped up um, so quickly in comparison to Book of Villainy. Because Book of Villainies was a much longer um, creation period. And yeah. uh, by that point, I had met people and I had also learned how to sell myself um, and sell my game just to even, you know, get people to look at it and 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 to, you know, give their feedback. So that by the time I started on, say, Wicked and Wise, um, mm. immediately it had a lot more advantage with um, like feedback and and um, um, attention than Book of Villainy did. Same thing with mansplaining. Yeah, I, uh, I kind of didn't want to get into mansplaining. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, no, um, because am I guessing is that was that again was a game when you're designing a game like that was that that mm-hmm. must have been born out of personal a bit of personal experience and say okay <laughs> what can I do with this can I turn this into an actual game? Mm-hmm. That was, uh, mansplaining was a very interesting challenge because it was actually I was approached um, by my co-designer. And hmm. he had the idea for um, the mansplaining game, and he wanted to uh, try and, and do a co-design with me. It's my first co-design. And hmm. um, he was just like, would you be interested in making a party game about this? And that's when I did approach it with the, how do I make <laughs> mansplaining into something that I would want to play um, or something that would be fun? And, and together, we kind of uh, put our, our heads together and we managed to uh, design that game entirely digitally um, over a series of emails. And um, wow. then we we play tested it in Tabletop Simulator. But that was one of those ones you hear some designers say, oh, I wrote this down on a napkin and boom, we had the game. That was one of those games that kind of fell together um, quite quickly. And um, mm. it, 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 it went through the play testing phase a lot quicker than any of my other games, um, maybe because of the nature of party games. So were you used to almost kind of like remote testing before mm-hmm. everybody was remote testing? Yeah, basically. Because before COVID, um, you were just you were just like, well, I'm already doing this, and now COVID's hit. You're just like, well, I, you know, just come and speak to me because I'll be able to kind of help. I'll be able to, I'll be able to mansplain <laughs> how to you. It how actually to a game does. We made it during COVID. Um, So it was during the tabletop simulator. Like me and the co-designer have never played it in person with each other. That's so weird. And we were both in Atlanta. But at that point, COVID had already gotten into its uh, swing. Because I want to say it was March um, of last year. And um, we designed it through email in about two weeks. And we had gotten it signed within four months of designing it. Um, That's... so it, it was all online. We even pitched it online. Um, so is it the type of game that you could, you could know you, you can use it to annoy people because there must be a certain section <laughs> of the community. Mm-hmm. If you say, would you like to play this? Mm-hmm. Have on the other side, have you had people mansplain to you how mm-hmm. you should be designing your own game called mansplain? <laughs> I've had people mansplain to me about game design in general. Yes. Yeah. Um, but with mansplaining, that one's been really, really fun. Um, mm. And it, it actually lends itself quite well to uh, playing digitally, like on Zoom or something. 
Um, yeah. As long as you have one person that's like feeding the cards to the other players through like a private mm. chat or something. But okay. yeah, I've definitely, I've had the experience of being mansplained too. And that, that informed a lot of the design decisions about yeah. how the game should feel because mm. we don't want to recreate the feeling of the insult of being mansplained to. We want it to recreate the ridiculousness of what mansplaining is in that the yeah. person feels like they are helping and they are explaining this thing that you know obviously how to do and they're not even using the right terms or anything to try and explain how to do this thing, but you're still supposed to like follow along. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, that definitely helped inform um, how we design that. Um, you're involved in Funko. Mm-hmm. So what is it you're what is it you're currently doing with them at the moment? So at Funko Games, I am a game producer. Um, oh. So that's kind of like a project manager uh, where we get a game and we get teammates assigned to the game. And then yeah. we try and make sure that the game hits its deadline for whatever, you know, all the files need to go to the factory um, mm-hmm. so that it will get to the shelves on time. We also want to make sure that the game stays in its budget as well as is a phenomenal game or is the best game that it can be um Mm -hmm. that and and you know that it it follows its theme and and we've we've put thought into everything um possible including just even the the liner of the box or you know what what kind of art complements the theme we you have to think about all these smaller details um but then also as a producer, um, you still get the opportunity to uh, participate in other roles. So yeah. um, I get to do game design, um, even though I am a, a game producer. And so I can help with creating the actual um, game itself, as well as, you know, keeping it on its timeline. With the Funko name kind of being pretty well known, mm-hmm. I mean, it obviously extends far out the reach of kind of like the board gaming scene mm-hmm. when you're explaining to people your job mm-hmm. i mean if you say well i'm working with funko mm-hmm. i take it you get more people to go oh right and you get a million questions i take mm-hmm. it as any of the questions can you get me this funko pop this funko pop <laughs> this funko pop yeah. no like the question that i get the most is they're like funko with funko pops and then mm. they're like do they so do you make games with the Funko Pops or, you know, you guys only have like a game or two um, mm. because they see our Funko verse. Yeah. Um, and um, that's like a mini war game with the Funko Pops. But yeah. um, we, we make all sorts of games. And also the interesting thing is previously before we were acquired by Funko, we were, were under the name Prospero Hall. So oh, yeah, yeah. Game, okay. Yeah. With Prospero Hall in the back, that's yeah. also Funko Games. All right, cool, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on to Wicked and Wise. Mm-hmm. Um, Carla's been on the show a couple of times. And yeah. um, in fact, I think one of the first or second podcasts that she did was, was on the show. How long was it? How long was it between you first meeting Carla and you deciding you had to sign or make a game with them? <laughs> how how short? Was it a Planck's constant type of period of time? So 
I would say that I didn't even deign to think that I was worthy to work with Carla. Um, so when I first met her, I was playtesting for Book of Villainy, and she was actually the mm. very first publisher that I played a game with. Um, wow. And I was super nervous. Um, and Carla's the best person you could ever <laughs> play a game with. She's so yeah. chill, but yeah. I was so nervous again, introvert and out of my comfort zone. Um, and she's like, probably she's probably also the best person to be nervous in front of as well. Because I think <laughs> you know if it's like if you're going to be feeling intimidated by anybody, mm -hmm. I think they would probably the be, be the best person to be mm -hmm. feeling intimidated with. Because exactly. you know that they would instantly if they picked it up. I think Carla would personally feel kind of offended if she thought mm -hmm. that she'd intimidated anybody at all. <laughs> to be honest. Mm hmm. And I. From from that moment on, um, mm. I started to run into Carla at other conventions because we were both in the South. She's Alabama and I'm Georgia. Yeah. Um, and we just kind of ended up hanging out um, because we were both wanted kind of our space when there were too many people in the halls and things like that. So mm. I, I really just wanted to be Carla's friend because she seemed like a really cool person. And yeah. Yeah. um like because we became friends, that was actually when she ended up being the very first. Her and her husband were the very first people to play um, Wicked and Wise. Like, it, and it's just after my self play test, she played the very first version, and I still didn't have any, you know, thoughts of of you know pitching to her. I just thought that I was not on her level yet, <laughs> so um, I just really was like, hey, would you like to play my trash game real quick? I know it's trash. I don't even have the rules written out yet. Um, but wow. <laughs> could, you, could we play test it? And please don't please don't hate me. <laughs> um but no, she they played it. They were they were really kind because like I didn't even realize that I hadn't written down the rules and I hadn't explained it out loud to anyone yet. Um, so when I sat there and I explained how to play and I was like, I'm so sorry, but bear with me. But they were very <laughs> chill. Cause it was like, it was just going to be, it was just like a game design jam weekend where we were all play testing each other. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, at the end of the game though, they were just like, I mean, it's, it's very rough, but this, there's something very interesting here. Wow. And that was the first time I realized I, I had something with Wicked and Wise. Um, and it wasn't until maybe a month or two later um, that I was playing it at Metatopia. Um, mm. And and that's when she spoke to me about potentially working together. And I was so happy about that. So that's we cool. ended up signing it um, soon after. That's cool. That's mm -hmm. cool. Um, let's talk about gameplay. How do you mm -hmm. play it? I'm sitting in front. I'm sitting in front of you. Mm -hmm. The game's in front of me. What's what's the base mechanics? How do you play? You know. Yeah. So, I'll start off with this game plays very differently depending on player count because this is a team based asymmetric game. So, mm. um, when it was first developed, it was developed as a four player only game, kind of like Spades if you've ever played that. Mm -hmm. um, and so the the way that it would be is there are two partners one is the dragon and one is the mouse the dragon is in charge of trick taking so they are in charge of playing the higher numbered cards in order to win um that trick mm -hmm. um 
And then the mouse is actually in charge of stacking their partner's hands with good cards. All right. Um, okay. Yeah. So normally, um, I guess if you played spades, the, the, the trump cards or the most powerful cards um, are already shuffled into the deck. But in yeah. my game, the most powerful cards are their own deck and nobody starts with them. The, the partner, the mouse partner is in charge mm. of feeding those to their partner. Um, and they have to use different card abilities in order to do that. So um, again, normally in trick taking, everybody is playing a card for the number and trying to come out on top with the highest number. Um, yeah. But in this one, only the dragon is concerned with you know, playing those numbers and 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 getting um, the trick, and the partner is totally concerned with the abilities that are on the bottom of all the cards, and you know, swapping cards with their partner or picking up these trump cards um, mm-hmm. so that they can win um, the tricks. The other thing is usually in trick taking games, people are just trying to straight up win the most tricks in order to win the game, but. Yeah. In this game, we have team goals. So it could say your team goal is to win exactly two tricks, no more. Um, And if you do, you get a certain amount of coins. If you don't, you lose coins. Um, Or it could be, you could, it doesn't matter how many tricks you win, but you need to make sure that you win um, a certain amount with these suits. Um, So these goals will set very interesting um, challenges for your team to meet. And if you do, you get the reward. And if not, you get the consequence. Um, and you can also kind of stop other teams from doing that as well. Um, I mean, stop other teams from meeting their goals. So right. that okay. that is uh, kind of the flow of the game. The, the ultimate purpose of it is your team is trying to get the most coins at the end of the game because dragons love gold. Um mm. And uh, I say that it plays differently on player count because, you know, it's originally a a team game. But when you get down to the two player count, which we're really proud about this, um, we have created a dual role that allows you to play as both the dragon and the mouse. And that one is like a very uh, high strategy mode where you and the other player are playing as the dragons um, concentrating on the trick taking and you share Mm -hmm. a mouse hand. So you share the cards with the abilities so you can kind of see what they have available. Same. They can see what you have available and you can kind of arrange the cards in a way that can screw over the next person um, because you have to follow suit. And that uses a lot of trick taking terminology. So that may be very confusing, but Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) Basically, the two-player is more of a head-to-head dueling mode um, that engages your mind in a different way than the team-based mode. Um, so you want to consider that whenever you decide what, what version to play. But both are quite fun and thoroughly thought out. <laughs> was it um, was it a little bit nerve-wracking knowing that you were going to be taking it to kind of Kickstarter? Um, I guess a little bit. Uh, just in the the general nerves for any Kickstarter, but mm. I was I was just super excited to see how it would do um, because it was it was a game that had a very unique or has a very unique mechanic going on, and yeah. uh, really I just wanted to see how people reacted to that and 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 see hopefully that a lot of people wanted to try it out 
um, especially seeing how it was brought to life because um, Beth Sobel did the art for it. And it's just yeah. like, it always just makes my heart go pit a patter to, to see her art on the screen it's, for my yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I think for a lot of people now, just having the, the kind of Beth Sobel doing the art on any project is enough to make them kind of mm-hmm. almost insta back it just so they've got mm-hmm. that kind of in the in the collection um and it also to me this kind of fits in i know mm-hmm. you mentioned dragons but i wonder if it's the same dragon that was involved in setting the anything to do with the fire in the library because i think <laughs> that i believe that beth was responsible for doing the the illustrations on that as well mm-hmm. so it's almost like weird giraffe are, uh, are bringing a <laughs> kind of a <laughs> their own kind of multiverse kind of thing yes kind of, kind of going on yes. um again i mean with the covid situation mm-hmm. in terms of actually getting the game kind of out there and kind of play testing it and obviously mm-hmm. the, the you know there's not been any cons mm-hmm. and stuff like that did you have to approach the kind of the awareness and the marketing side of the game from a different kind of point of view to like what what's been done kind of like in in the past or so first off Carla is amazing at marketing she's doing stuff stuff I can't even see and hmm. I just happen hmm. to see other people come like oh I, I saw Carla's post for here and there and she's she's just everywhere she is tireless um but hmm. as far as the actual like people who have played the game it before covid hit wicked and wise probably had a good 3 months of physical play testing going on um, right, okay. and, and which the mechanic even though it was super super rough and totally different from how it is now the mechanic was still unique enough that people remembered it so it stayed in mm. mind if you played it um but once pandemic hit um a entire community around digital play testing um rose up and i made sure that wicked and wise was um regularly tested on a weekly basis mm. um way more than i think i would have been able to um at, at conventions because it it did require such a high player count. And again, yeah, yeah. I was not the best at recruiting people to play games. Um, mm-hmm. Carla is much better at that. Um, but it got a very um, thorough playtesting online. And through that uh, online community, because Wicked and Wise, not Wicked and Wise, but Weird Giraffe um, and Galactor Raptor, Raptor have their own Discord channel. Um, and yeah. which they um kind of foster community for playtesting their specific their their games um that are yeah. in progress and um through word of mouth and and and, and people experiencing it there um we managed to get more impressions and and um more recommendations to um play the game and um you know we would post whenever we got some really cool components and things like that um both of us both Carla and I are active on social media so um mm-hmm. that that was how we kept i guess marketing wise how we kept it relevant in in people's minds and then um once it was close to the kickstarter that's when Carla went all out in <laughs> all of her her posts and um facebook yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can see that because you're like you're sitting on you know well over being funded now, mm-hmm. um, which that must be that must be a pretty cool feeling. 
mm-hmm. to kind of to kind of be in. I guess because if you're part of like say you're working of kind of like for Funko, mm-hmm. it must almost be a case of well, we know this is going to sell potentially mm-hmm. X number of units kind of anyway. Mm-hmm. When you're doing something like Kickstarter, it must be a case of well, is it going to be is it going to reach like a hundred? Yeah, people. Is it going to reach like four or five hundred people instead? Yeah, yeah, that is absolutely. Um, I think that's the nerve wracking part because you never mm. know if your game will be big enough to get a reprint. So for me, I think of it as this is the only time my game will get printed, and so every single person that backs is one more person that will have the game, and mm-hmm. you know, could, I could potentially come up on it in the wild and and I really I hope to see people really being able to enjoy this as um a, a different take on the trick taking genre mm-hmm. and um you know I'd really like to see it in as many hands as possible so the more people that back I'm just like super excited because that feels a, a little bit more attainable each time cool so there's at the, well at the time that we're we're talking you there's um looking at the the current clock there's still over like two weeks to go um mm-hmm. and to get in the door you're looking it's about twenty five dollars um or about mm-hmm. nineteen pounds and that will get you the um the standard game um if you bump it up to forty five dollars you're gonna get the game with a play mat as well mm-hmm. which is which is kind of pretty kind of pretty cool um have you have you got your own i take it you must have a couple of different variations of the game in various kind of different different stages have you got like a little box that's got mm-hmm. kind of everything <laughs> that's still got kind of the original <laughs> prototypes and everything like that on it um so i don't have a box except for maybe the very original prototype because I moved. I was in Georgia when I started working on Wicked right. and Wise. Yeah. And then I had to like get rid of 50 to 60% of all my belongings to move across country. Wow. And um, yeah, so there, there were some things lost, but also the majority of the development happened online. So okay. um, it was so very different from mm. the original that I just, I couldn't even justify keeping <laughs> the, wow. um, any more of the prototypes. But so you'll be glad, so you, so you, you'll be glad when you get your final kind of published copy. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, this is going to get made. I mean, this is, this is yes. a thing. This is something that's kind of definitely going to, going to happen now. Um, yeah. Are you, are you not, are you not tempted to kind of go and knock on the door of the, the bosses at Funko and say, Hey, look what I made. Or are they aware <laughs> of what's going on? They're definitely aware of it. Um, I've had hmm. some really cool coworkers that supported it. Cause this was these games. I made them before I signed on with Funko. Um, so okay. they're, they're still cool to fly, but um, you typically can't make something while um, you're employed with a, a, another company. So I was just yeah. very lucky that they were supportive of that. And um I was able to to see that through, um, but yes, yes, they they are all aware of it. And they've they've wished me congrats, so I'm very happy Super, about that. Superb. So, if people want to keep an eye on you, 
Mm -hmm. and track your ongoing progress. And we're expecting at least another seven or eight games signed off in the next kind of year and a half because, (laughs) I mean, we're expecting some kind of um, huge kind of logarithmic curve or whatever kind of going Mm -hmm. forward. Where do you exist on the internet webs if they want to keep an eye on you? (laughs) Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Fertessa, F-E-R-T-E-S-S-A. And that is where I am most active, where I update things that I'm working on. You can find Mm. the Kickstarter link for Wicked and Wise there. Um, And any any games that I'm working on, um, because currently I've worked on quite a few games at Funko, but I can't talk about them until um, they're officially released. But once they are, you will be hearing about all those games, which should be hitting the shelves um, in the next year or so. Lots mm-hmm. of noise. You'll be shouting it from the rooftops, no doubt. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, what I'll do is I'll make sure, as always, that we put all the links from uh, in the show notes so that we've got some notes to show. If people are listening along tonight and if you like what you've listened to tonight, uh, then thank you very much. Uh, the dog is now falling asleep at my feet. <laughs> That's the latest update. Um, I am going to wake him up when I'm finished here because he's been he's been a little bit of a pain in the ass, but he's <laughs> he is he is a puppy and he is lovely. But if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, then just go to the internet webs and search for "We Are Not Wizards" and you'll find us in all the different lovely, worn out faces, uh, bright and early for the daily races. You'll find us on Twitter and we're on Instagram and we're on. We've got our Facebook group, and if you want to read our stuff, you can read our blog on wearenotwizards.co.uk. If you want to listen to more podcasts, then you can listen to them by going to wearenotwizards.com. If you like what you've listened to tonight, then please go to the Apple podcast and consider giving us a rating or a review. If you are going to be giving us a rating or a review, don't give me 10 stars because it just makes me big-headed and I'm <laughs> bad enough as it is, but don't give me one star because it will make us cry. Give us something in the middle, like a five, because it's average, <laughs> and we're just a little bit average. But the person who's not being average is the rather wonderful, rather fantastic Fertessa Elise. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It was doing up with puppy-related shenanigans, which we're not. We're going to leave that here and not say anything <laughs> more. There is only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards for Tessa? No, we are not. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Fertessa. Say goodbye, Fertessa. <laughs> goodbye, Fertessa. And fantastic. <laughs> I love it when people do that. So good. And it's goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. And... Um, I'm just here to say that you can maybe be a little bit evil, but also be a little bit knowledgeable. Yes, you can be wicked and wise. Until the next time, goodbye. Bye. A wizard is never late.
Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. 